You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect... It's not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance of a lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all on the same team. Now you roll and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight. Great moments are born from great opportunity. Hello and welcome to The Great Coaches Podcast, where we believe that there is no algorithm for leadership, and so we interview great sports coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us be better leaders. Our great coach on this episode is Brendan Joyce. Brendan played for 13 seasons in the Australian National Basketball League. After retiring, he transitioned into coaching and led the Ballarat Miners to two CBA championships. He then went on to coach more than 400 games in the National Basketball League, winning the championship in 2001 with the Wollongong Hawks. He has coached at three Olympics, twice as an assistant to the Australian men's team and once as the head coach of the Australian women's team, with who he also won a bronze medal at the 2014 World Championships. He has also twice been voted the National Basketball League Coach of the Year. He is presently in Taiwan coaching the Kaohsiung Aquas and won the championship with them in 2022 and was also voted Coach of the Year. Brendan has great energy and in this terrific interview, some of the key highlights were the way he talks about finding the line when it comes to challenging people to the right level and how your consistency is a good tool in helping you achieve this the need to develop a high level of confidence and self-belief as a coach, given the criticism you will experience, but also ensuring this doesn't spill over into arrogance. 
how he encourages his players to find the balance between being aggressive to score, but also doing what they can to make the extra pass, and the link between good team chemistry and clarity on team roles. I hope you enjoy it as much as we did. And just before we go to the interview, if you like what we do here at The Great Coaches, then head over to our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com, where you will find loads of exclusive video and audio content. It's designed for you to download and share with your friends and teams to bring another perspective to the challenges that you might be facing. And now, please enjoy our interview with Brendan Joyce. You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Brendan Joyce, hello and welcome to The Great Coaches Podcast. Absolutely delighted to be here, mate, and thanks for inviting us. Very excited to talk to another Australian about a little bit of basketball too. So could we kick off with something pretty simple, Brendan? Where are you in the world? Because this is an interesting answer. And what have you been up to so far today? (laughs) Today's a day off. I am in Gaoshong in Taiwan. That's south of Taiwan, uh, Taipei's north for everybody. Most people know where Taipei is. And I'm pretty happy today. We're coming off our second game, pre-season game. We lost the first one by a point to a team called DEA. We were very, very good. It was a nice little wake-up call for us. And then the next night, we won by 30 against the team we beat in the championship series last year. But all teams have changed a little bit. So, But my day off, Paul, so great day to be chatting with you. Well, thanks for carving out a bit of time on your day off to talk about hoops with us. I want to start, Brendan, by just name-checking a few great coaches that you've uh, you've worked with directly on the bench. Tom Penrose, Barry Barnes, and of course, Brian Gurgian. And I'm sure there's been many others as well. But from this perspective, up close, what do you think the great coaches do differently that sets them apart? Well, they've all been great in their own time. Gorge is still going, obviously, now, like me, coaching overseas. So, I mean, he's probably the leader in that part. He went first. I've only just started coaching full-time. Barry Barnes was a coach that coached me as a kid and as a senior coach. Tommy Penrose, I loved it when I saw that name mentioned. Not many people would know him, and he was way ahead of his time. So I'll talk a little bit more about him because he was around, obviously, in the 50s and 60s. And when I took over the Illawarra Hawks or then Wollongong Hawks, back to the Illawarra Hawks. He was so passionate because he was from Wollongong. He was a lecturer at the Wollongong University. And he came and knocked on my door. And I, I didn't have a clue who he was the first day, pretty much the first day I started. He said, I'm going to tell you, there's not many people you can trust, but you can trust me. <laughs> it was really interesting. And he said, I just really admired you as a player. And I know you've been coaching in, in the CBA at once for three years, but I'd love to help. I know he helped Alan Black previously. And, and when I got to know him, man, God, he was an intelligent guy. And I'll talk a fraction more about him, but I'll go back to the others. What is it about these guys? But I think what jumps out about all those three names you mentioned, they're extremely passionate and have a love for the game. Genuine passion and love for the game. They obviously have a level of a competency. If, you, if you're not competent, you're not going to be respected. You have to have some competency. You have to understand what you're doing. You have to know what to do, how to do, when to do, why to do, those four things. So I think most of those coaches don't agree. But another thing that stands out, I think, with great coaches is accountability. They hold everyone accountable. It could be even four members, depending on the relationships with players. It, it makes it tough sometimes and just all friends, friends, family, all that sort of thing. So, But they are strong enough and have the courage and conviction to hold people accountable because if you let things slide, you're not going to be successful. You just, we, we use the word slippage. Gorge and I, we both use the same word. 
you have slippage, you, you can't have it if you want to be successful. Another one, you can have all that, but do you have the ability to, to influence? So there's some charisma about those guys. Aside from their, their skills, their competent skills and their determination, they have an ability to influence. When they speak, people listen and they're respected. So I think that jumps out. What's the other one? Like I want to go back to Tom Penrose, the, the fifth one, because I think no one would know him, but what I utilised him as like an assistant and he would keep stats. And before that, he really kept stats with our analytics, right? He, he could see the game. So at the end of the game, he'd have everything, transition baskets, layups, layups against fouls, rebounds. He'd have all the normal stats, but we'd obviously keep certain statistics that, that we had performance. Just so he would keep those for me. And he would do those on his own. Now, not many people can do that. You know, I found he, he would see the game in what I call in a holistic way. And I think that's been a strength of mine. It's watching players play their roles within the concepts of how you want to play as a team. So players' abilities within the schemes, you've got to seal that. So that helps you. Pretty much game coaching, make adjustments on the run. Some coaches have to wait till the video the next day or make adjustments for the next game. And, and we all do that, but you have to see things on the run. And I think Tom had that ability. Coaching the 50s and 60s, he coached the Hawks, so not many people know about him. But there's a video of us winning the championship, me getting off the bus and he's crying, you know, because we won the Hawks first championship. And he was, he was a big part of that. Yeah, so I, I was wrapped to see that name. Um, so people need to know about that guy. Well, we'll get on to that Hawks premiership later on in the discussion, but perhaps let's go on a bit of a journey because 13 seasons as a player, and one of the interesting stats from your career was that for many years you held the league record for assists. And I'm just wondering how this appreciation for assisting is visible now in your own coaching philosophy. I really love the fact you're picking these things up, Paul, because it's a big part. And what I found is the early days when I played in the NBA, I felt there was too, too much focus on the Americans, the imports. We gave them the ball. They looked to score. When we got to the playoffs, the suspect is we were runners up, but we never won the championship. And I think we were too reliant. And there wasn't enough encouragement for them to share the basketball. But you know, that's how it was then. So part of that stays with me as a coach. So me being a point guard and shared, sharing the ball, I had to make an adjustment and become more aggressive probably in my own way. It was assistant coach Colin Cadet, another famous name in basketball, that encouraged me to be more aggressive scoring-wise. And, and so it was a middle part, the late part of my career, I started to find that balance. And I also found that made me better, a better point guard. So people respected the fact I was trying to score, maybe a better passer. So, you know, there'd be less help, so to speak. So... I encourage that in my point guards today. And as you say, I encourage players really to be aggressive, not just the point guard. All players to be aggressive to score, but make the extra pass. So I encourage them to play to their strengths, first of all. And if everyone makes the extra pass, they usually become a tough team to play against. So with all the championship teams I've been with, whether it be CBA, Ballarat, the Hawks, now Taiwan, Gaishong Aquas, the Opals, Bronze Medal, and the teams that have been successful, we've had multiple scorers. And we've had high assist rates. So that's really makes us tough to scout as well. So, yes, it's definitely had an influence in the style of play and how I encourage players and my team to play. Brendan, over the arc of your journey, how have you managed to balance confidence as a coach with the humility needed to look beyond your own strengths and keep improving? Yeah, most coaches have got to have a thick skin and they usually have a level of confidence and belief in themselves. To last, <laughs> that needs to be pretty strong because it's a tough life being a coach. Everyone's critical and especially in today's society, the last 20 years, I'll talk more about that as a player. I think it's even tougher. Everyone's got an opinion and usually the opinion's negative <laughs> unless you win every game. 
So you do need a self-belief, you need a confidence, but at the same time, you can't have an arrogance to the fact that you think you know it all. You know, I'm 60 years of age and I don't know it all. I listen, I watch, I read, watch videos, I read books. Where I can, I try to spend time with other coaches, not just in basketball from other sports, especially being in Melbourne. We've got some great football teams. I've got to meet some AFL coaches. I noticed I'm just trying to think you had Dimmer on on one of your shows the other week. So established a little bit of a relationship with him. Various AFL coach, Brian Smith, he's the coach in the NRL. I got a lot from meeting with him. He was a coach, runner-up a couple of times with St. George and Warra, Parramatta, went and coached the Warriors. He's an underrated coach that never won a championship. I think one of the best coaches I've ever met. I learned a lot from him. Then he's going to travel into the U.S. friends with Brett Brown, I, I, you know, uh, who coached Australia. We were assistant coaches together. He coached San Antonio. He was assistant for 11 years. Philly for five years, back to San Antonio, got a great friendship. We have discussions. Some of my, one of my assistants is now Damien Cotter, is at the Chicago Bulls. We consistently ask. I ask questions. I ask for video. Larry Brown, the only coach ever to coach the NCAA championship and uh, NBA championship. I visited colleges. One of the greatest things, Paul, that ever happened to me, I was going to see Brett at Philadelphia in about five or six, it would have been 2016 before the Olympics, all for, for my own personal development. And a friend of mine, an Aussie guy, said, come down to SMU, which I'd been there before, and I met Larry Brown. And we had a great discussion. To me, Larry Brown and Popovich, they're like God to us, mate. Those guys, basketball coaches, they're, they're almost 80 years of age, but they're sharp as tax, and they've got all the experience and knowledge and, mate, I didn't want to leave him. And so I go back to the hotel. He knows I'm going to Philly. And he, he learns that Philly snowed in, so they're not allowing commercial flights. So he says to one of the boys, he says, ring Brendan. It was a good discussion. Let's get him on our plane, and we'll make sure we get him to Philly so he can get there in time to be with Brett. Plus, bring him to the game. They're playing Temple. They've won 18 games straight. And so... I get on the, I get, and then my wife goes, oh, I don't know, I don't know if you want to go on a plane, and I go, I'm going on this plane. This Larry Brown's invited me. I'm getting on this plane, so I get on the plane. He goes, sit with me. So three and a half hours, four hours, mate, from from Dallas, Texas, to uh, Philadelphia. We're just talking basketball. I'm showing him video of the Opals playing Japan. I'm showing him the Opal style of play. He's showing me stuff of you know SMU. He's talking about when he coached Detroit to the championship individual players, that was the greatest education of all time. Sorry to rail, but yeah, you're bringing back some memories by asking these questions, the great moments where I got education and learnings from some of the best, mate, some of the best. Brendan, feel free to ramble. Feel free to ramble. It's a great answer. Thank you. So so, so my point is, yeah, you can have a level of self-confidence and belief, but you've got to be open to others and be a lifelong learner. Brendan, I've got this interesting quote from you I'd like to explore. You say, Process is the key word. Stay focused on the process. That's my philosophy. The process of executing the offensive, the process of the defensive, the process of planning each game. And I wanted to ask you, how do you balance this focus on a process with the lateral thinking needed to sometimes be creative to get over the opposition? Yeah, and again, I think both are important. You're on the money there, and we'll talk about both. You have to have some sort of process if you know what you're doing. If, you've got, if you're competent, you have an idea of what it takes to be successful. And the more experienced you become as a coach, if you continue to have success, the better you are at it, and you know what works and what doesn't work. So obviously, you're going to keep focused on the process of things that, that do work and then maybe adjust accordingly, as you say, depending on the needs of whether it be what team you're coaching, what level you're coaching, what country you're coaching, 
is it male or female, you definitely have to make adjustments. But there is, a, I guess, a part that, that, that is consistent. And for example, what I mean by process, I always start out with a mission, set goals, have an action plan. These are the things. Culture is important. And you talked about the season. So you plan out the season, you know who you're playing. And then you've got your scout, right? So it's game by game. So attention to detail of who you're playing against, what your strengths and weaknesses are. So that's preparation. Right. And, and the season, obviously, you know, fitness, all those things, you've got to be prepared. But then, as you say, you better have the ability to be creative because there's always challenges along the way that you need to adjust. Going back to Tom Penrose, the game coaching, you have a plan. It's not going to according to plan. Then you have to adjust and be creative. But I think at the end of the day, if I talk about probably I'm just trying to think now, I think the, the best thing is to, if you want creativity, not only from yourself, you want to encourage it with the players. I think players have to, first of all, understand what their strengths are. I think, and we've not got to understand our strengths as a team. So that's part of the plan. But as you know, the opposition takes away your strengths. So then you have to adjust. Now, call it creativity or call it preparation for those challenges and obstacles as well. We do prepare for that. But then sometimes there are players that just have abilities that definitely don't really need to be a part of your system <laughs> to play to their strengths. So you have to allow them to be creative. So it's a balancing act between being too structured and then allowing players to be who they are. And I think it's the same with me as a coach. You don't want to be that strict and strong about your system. Your system's got to be flexible depending on the challenges that are ahead. So with that, I really try and find that balancing act from a players to obviously, okay, they're playing within the structure, but each, I say to them, Every one of you, you are here because you do something well. Now, what do you do well? And I get them to tell me. And if they don't, then I tell them. And I say, well, the way I've, I've put together our structure and style of play is that you're here because you do something well. So when that opportunity arises, you go for it. And then someone could get hot. As you know, players get hot. You keep going to that player, right? You don't have to worry about the rest of the structure. You milk it a little bit. So you're allowing them to take control, right? You're allowing them, you're empowering them to take control of the game and also lead and be accountable for the leadership of what's going on out there, not just me as the coach on the sideline. Brendan, I know that you're a, a values-driven leader. Can you tell us about your core values and why they're so important to you? Yeah, I, I think it not only comes from your, your playing experience or your coaching experience. I mean, your course, a lot of your core values, as you know, come from your upbringing. So I come from a working class family and my dad had two or three jobs. We had seven kids. He had six. Well, we had seven kids. So I've got a stepbrother no longer with us. So he needed to earn a lot of money to feed us all back in the day. And then even mum taking care of the kids, she would even do a, a cleaning job at night with him. I, I just have this, this is all instilled for us to survive, right? Back in the day in the 60s, I have these late 60s, obviously, and 70s. So I saw my parents work hard to put food on the table and to support us. So and I think that's the beginning of a, a strong work ethic. Also, my grandparents, they worked hard. There's a level of honesty within the family. The coaches I had going back to Barnsley and Colin Cadee, we used to have hard conversations. So work ethic. Honesty is very important from my point of view. Never giving up. And again, parents played a big role there, but a big part of this never giving up comes from my great-grandfather growing up in the 60s. Like he was in two world wars and he put his age up for the first world war, went to 16 in, in the Navy. And in the second world war, he put his age down. Now he had four kids and went off to war to fight the Japanese in Singapore. And he was a prisoner of war. He, he was caught. He was made to build, like a lot of soldiers, the Burma Railway, 
and he was a prisoner of war for a few years. And is I haven't, you know, I've got the photograph. And every now and then, I'll talk to the team about this, about not giving up. And the basketball's really a small part of why you shouldn't give up. And I talk about my grandfather because there's a photo of him lying on his back, almost probably another month. If the war's not over, he doesn't survive. Now he comes home and. My mum would ram it into me all the time, and he would ram it into me. Don't you ever give up, boy. I just It just stays with me, and I know about what happened to him, you know, the torture. And it's just because of the cultural differences at the time, how the Japanese looked at prisoners, as we know now. But that's had a big influence on me about never giving up. My teams never give up, and they know that. They won't play. If I see them stop or give up a player, they're coming out. And it's a big part of it. Discipline, I'd say that this, this is probably a, a fourth one I'm talking about. There's probably seven or eight, but I'll just rattle off a few. The discipline to going back to the focus on the detail, but the discipline to prepare yourself so you can be the best you can be when you get out there, take care of yourself. I mean, discipline means a lot of work. Following the plan until we need to adjust, trying to make it work. Professional on and off the court, a two-way player. From a basketball sense, now you so defense is very important. It's not just offense. Be, I encourage the players to be two-way players. We've got to focus on defense as well because everybody you just see, you look at the highlight reel. Most of the time, it's scoring, right, dunks and things like that. Every now and then, you get a block shot, but you'll never see a player can just contain a guy. Although I did happen to see Ben Simmons today, looking at some clips of him just containing guys, like twisting and turning them on on defense. I love that. So it's underrated, and and obviously family. And the last one. You know, family's important. I talk to the players about that. We try and put family first. And I think that's part of my values. We, and I try and translate that to the importance of that because if they're happy at home and they're part of their family, and sometimes the highs and lows, I haven't got the answers to support them. It's important that they go to their family for their support through the highs and lows, just like I did. And going back to the culture, the team values, as you say. So these are my values you asked about. I always create an environment where we develop a team, team values as so like, the players are empowered to come up with their own values, so they live it, not my values. I don't expect them to live my values, but it's they all, they did ask. Like it was really we're talking about cultural values. And the first time I got to Taiwan last year, they said, "Coach, what do you expect from us?" And it took me back a little bit. I'm like, "Hang on, wait a minute. No, no, I just want to know. We're going to put no, no, but what do you expect from us?" It was an interesting question, so I had to share some of those values just asked about Paul. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's interesting listening to that story about your grandfather, this whole idea of persistence and never giving up. Because one of the themes that comes through when I was preparing for today and reading about you is when it comes to your style, at least on paper and the the vision I could see, you seem to be very good at finding that line between pushing people, pushing them to develop, making them uncomfortable, getting them out on the edge, but also knowing when to pull back so that it doesn't become too aggressive or too coach-led. And I'm just wondering if someone was listening and wanted to get better at this, you know, this idea of finding that sweet spot between pushing someone, but also empowering them, 
what would you tell them? Yeah, I think Brian Gorgian was really good at that, Paul, being his assistant coach when we were with the Boomers. I, to the point, sometimes I'd worry. He'd push the team. I'm like, oh, we're going to get an injury here. But I knew myself when I was back home coaching my own club, I was doing the same thing at times. But when you're assistant coach, you probably look at it a little bit more. But, yeah, it's, it's a real balancing act. I think building a relationship with a player. So how do you do that? It's not just a matter of coaching them, okay? You have to have, for me, and I got this from Brian Smith, probably – really increased my ability to communicate. Brian Smith, the great NRL coach. This is what you learn from being other coaches. Smitty had this questionnaire, or like call it, he called it a goal sheet. I call it a preparation sheet. And I've adjusted a little bit. And I asked for players to set their goals, ask me about what they did this week, tips for goals, individual goals that they go for, that they aspire for, but it's got it within the concept to help us win. It's the confines of helping the team win, which I talked to them about, because they all come up with different things at the beginning. I'm going to score 25 points. I'm going to get 15 rebounds. And I remember one guy saying, you're not going to get those. And you just see his face drawing. He said, because you're not going to play enough minutes. (laughs) Right? And I say, but let's (laughs) let's focus on, I said, but you're, you're pretty important to us. And you're a prolific rebounder. And I said, good rebounders get one every four minutes. Great rebounders get one every three minutes. But Dennis Robbins, the greatest of all time, get one every two minutes. So let's fo- focus on rebounds per minutes played. And he became like a, a, a rebounder. He picked up easy points by, like I said, let's talk about how you're going to get your points, a great shooter, run your lanes. Anyway, that's just an example of communicating goals, right, that, that need, you need to fit within your team to play their role for your success. And that was a player off the bench. So... With that, filling out that, though, that requires face-to-face communication, not just to give you the piece of paper you read and you go back to them and go, that was good. So we had one-on-one meetings. And again, I felt that that's been, if you want to call it a secret to winning, I don't know if it's a secret, but it's been massive for me. And I, most of the players have loved it. They're all the players I've talked to over the years, the Taiwanese guys, they love it. I have a translator, so it makes it sometimes a little bit more difficult to translate, but we get the messages across. And with that, you build you build that trust, right? You build that trust. So it allows you, I think, with the trust to push the players. They know you're there to try and help them get better. Another thing is be consistent. You have to be consistent. You can't be inconsistent. I hate coaches that play mind games. So I don't play mind games. I send consistent messages. Some player coaches think they're really smart, right? I'm going to play mind games. And I've had players... I've had coaches say to me, especially US, oh, you've got to trick them. You've got to trick them. You know, tell them what they want to hear to get the job done. It's really interesting, right? The philosophy and where they come from and how they – and I felt – I've coached Americans, right, and hard kids, tough kids. And at the end of the day, they might not like my messaging at the beginning, the honesty going back to that. But I know and they've walked away and they've said you've had respect because you've been consistent. So I say be consistent. As I just touched on, assisted with goals. That trust allows you the privilege. It's a privilege for us coaches to be able to push our players. That's how I see it. So you build that trust. And then how do you set that up? What is pushing your players to the limit? Well, you can't do it the whole practice session. But I'll have parts of the practice session where I'll put players in. I'll tell them to to get up and play physical and deny and probably escalate the situation to the point where it's above what what will happen in the game as far as pressure. So preparing them for pressure. And then, as you say when to pull back so it's not the whole practice session and it might not be you might not do it for a couple of days you only pick part of a practice session out because it is dangerous you can get players injured because their natural juices they're competitors they take over right and it gets to a point where sometimes it get narky and physical and you've got to pull it you've got to know when to pull it back so i'm sharing with you i'm just sharing with you how i do it 
I think it's definitely a skill. And I think this whole idea of trust and being consistent is the basis for the relationship that allows you to push someone sounds to me spot on. But I want to go back to your playing career for a minute. And I want to pick up on this idea about how you were treated in this space, because I've got this, it's a great quote, actually. It does. I don't quite know when it was, but I know it comes from your time as a player. And you said, I know my own challenges weren't really my opponent. Most of the time it's yourself. It's your demons you carried yourself. And I wanted to ask you, now that you're a coach and you you referenced your age, so I think we can put it out there again, you've got the 60, you've got this wealth of experience, you've coached all over the world. Knowing what you know now, how do you help players deal with their own demons? Yeah, well, let's go back to self-belief a little bit. One of my guys I idolised, another person I idolised growing up as a kid, my dad used to actually teach boxes. So a person I idolised was Muhammad Ali. He obviously portrayed a level of confidence and belief, whether it was outwardly, but inwardly, did he have any deep? Did he doubt himself? Most most people do. But sometimes, you know, especially being a boxer, you certainly can't project the fact that you're second-guessing yourself. But as a kid, I'm watching him and I'm going, I love this guy. <laughs> you know, his self-belief and what he achieved and just how he spoke. But then when you get, get into it and you start performing in sport yourself, you can have that belief. But obviously, there's, there's going to be a lot of things that's going to bring you back to earth. Like you're going to get beat, right? You are going to get beat. Well, there's somebody better than you. So how do you deal with it? And along the way, I think when, even though you have that self-belief and you, you, you do tend to overcome it, but you start being self-critical, very critical of oneself. And I've seen this with a lot of players, critiquing themselves internally, which can obviously impact on their own confidence and the ability to perform. So we get into the psychology of it a little bit, which I did a little bit of that when I went back to uni. And most players will tell you, I think they're not their best until they're about 27, 28 and beyond because they're over. They're over worrying about everything. They're over worrying about the little things. I think more and more, my demons were crit- being critical, of, and it might surprise people, critical of myself inside, just overanalyzing, trying to fix it, you know, to a point where, okay, I just need to focus on these things and do these things, do what I do well, which I got that coach, and then not worry about other people's opinions because especially today, I think it's even more critical that there's a self-belief and you provide support for the athletes because once the internet got involved, the abuse, I'll call it abuse on an athlete's performance is just out of control through social media. So I think most great players or great great athletes, they usually are very critical themselves and self-analyze and it's got to be to the point where you have to be very careful. There's a, there's a line that they need support. They need, obviously, to say, hey, you are good. Remind them, you know, going back to focus on your strengths and all those sort of things and, and reinforce it. They're the things that I think that, that are really important. And so a lot of players, it takes a while to overcome that. The younger the age you can, the younger players can do that or athletes can do that, obviously, the more, the earlier they're going to peak. I mean, obviously, we've seen a lot of great young athletes have the ability to do this because they've, they've gotten the support, they've got the strategies. And for me, if I think someone's really down, and, and you've probably heard this before, I'm pulling out the highlight tape. I'm pulling out and I'm showing these kids, this is what you are good at. Look at yourself. Look at how good you are here. Don't worry about what anyone else says. Keep things simple. Don't overcomplicate it because I had these demons myself, right? So, And I think that's an advantage I have from being a player too, then taking that into coaching. Not all not all coaches have, have been a player, but they can study that and learn that as well. But it's a little bit of an advantage, I think, when you have played it and you've gone through the pressure yourself, you understand what it really feels like to be under pressure. So you have, I think, empathy for what's going on is a strong word as well, but just assisting them 
to maintain their belief and help them get over their internal demons as quickly as possible <laughs> to get the best out of them. Well, talking about the highlight tape, there's, of course, the 2001 premiership with the, with the Hawks. When you look back on that experience now, how did it shape your approach to leadership going forward? I think when you have success, you, there's a lot of learnings in success. You'd rather have those learnings from success than failures, right? <laughs> so you knew you were doing some things right. So again, we talked about going back to the process of what works, get rid of what doesn't work, continue what does work. And I think a big part of that success by then, I'd, I'd had the players, we'd gone from the bottom to the top for five years. We built our, our, our championship. We didn't buy it. You know, we were uh, we were probably picked seventh uh, in the team of 14 that year. We finished fourth. We had to go through big teams to win. We had to beat Perth in Perth, which the team had only done once in its history to get to, to move through. Then we had to beat Adelaide in Adelaide, which I think the club had only done one or two times in its history. And then we, we had to win games on the road. So for me, the learnings from that was that year, I knew we weren't going to be the best team. So I did a lot of preparation on close games. Ability to handle pressure, going back to what we talked about before, right? Those pressure situations and to execute under pressure in close games. That year, Paul, we won 12 games, I think, by less than four or five points. I think our home record, I'm trying to think, we were 20, I can't remember, I think we're 21 and seven, but we had a better away record than a home record. And I, I'd say to them all the time, you can't win the championship, you can't win on the road. And the Hawks' history is, if you go back to it, they would only win at home before I got there. Right, they only win home games. So I had, I was obsessed about changing the the mindset of having the ability to handle pressure and win on the road. And I do this with my team here in Taiwan. You know, I walk in here, head up, chest out. We're the road warriors. It's you develop this mentality, and we were called the road warriors. In the end, they were calling us the road warriors in the media halfway through the season. They were calling us the cardiac kids, which they gave that nickname to the Sydney team, which Tim Morrissey played with. But I know Tim Morrissey is is, is a friend now who was the enemy as a player. <laughs> He's bugging a player, guys. He writes for, I think it's, a, I, can't, I don't want to get the newspaper wrong, but he writes for one of the big Sydney newspapers. He started referring to us, the cardiac kids. We get down to the last game, game three, where we're four points down with three and a half minutes to go. We've had some challenges along the way, but I won't go into detail of it. But I call a timeout and I look at the guys and I go, hey, we're right where we want to be. We've got them. <laughs> We've come from eight down, and they're all nodding their heads, right? I mean, this, this is what we got to do. And one of the guys had to play that well early. I, I'd sat him down to to calm down. He was very, very physical, get angry with himself. Melvin Thomas, one of the best players I've ever coached, should be in the Hall of Fame, will be, I think, for Australian basketball. Not the easiest bloke to coach, very emotional guy. And he, you could just see the look in his eye, nodded his head, went out there, took a rebound, scored just amongst two guys, and, you know, we got in front and history tell, tells you everything about it. So, you know, there's great lessons there. Obviously, the one, you know, I, I talk to you for hours about this, Paul, the one-on-one communication, ability to win close games, the culture, the values, the system, the empowering. There's so many things. I, I need an hour to talk to you about a championship winning team, mate. <laughs> but I've rattled off a few there, right? So, and the unity. Sorry, the other one. Let's not forget this. Chemistry, team chemistry. Team chemistry. So we weren't the best team as far as talent-wise, but we talked about having high enthusiasm, high effort. And again, that was something I learned from Brian Smith as well, going back four or five years earlier. You learn from other coaches about just calculating, the, doing the little things, as, as coaches would say, for success if you're not the most talented team. So we had great team chemistry, great great bond between us. And the secret? And we have it in Taiwan. 
we have it in Taiwan. The secret of building team chemistry, is that what you're asking? Yeah. Well, I have a process and strategy for that. I've got a PowerPoint, <laughs> a structured PowerPoint and process for building it, and I've continued that. And that was the challenge. Could I do this in Taiwan? Could I do it in another country under a different culture? Unfortunately, I've got a translator who's just sensational. I'm very lucky. He went to school at Wisconsin College in America, a Taiwanese kid, speaks English, and he's been able to translate a lot of it. Although a lot of the kids do understand English, but could I could I have them play, I guess, under the culture and develop team chemistry like I do in Australia? So one of the things I spoke to him about, I said, we're not a Taiwanese team, right? And they all looked at me, hang on, we're all Taiwanese. I said, no, 11 of you are Taiwanese. I've got two Americans. I've got a Lithuanian. I've got a Filipino-American who went to school. And I'm an Aussie. So we're going to develop an international culture. We're going to develop international team chemistry. And so I have a process and talk to them about how powerful you can be when you have that spiritual connection, about the results, the different results you can get if you're cohesive and you set goals and you have that focus of, of, of what I call playing is the power of five. So there's five players on the court. So if there's only three or four and they're superstars, and one of the superstars hasn't come to play, even if we're not as talented, then we're the power of five. So five to the power of five is a lot more powerful than four to the power of five, right? Even mathematically. And that's Brian Smith spoke about this. And so I've carried that. My great friend, who's no longer with us, Danny Frawley, he coached great St. Kilda football. You're an Aussie, all right? He coached Richmond. After we won the championship in 2001, because I coached at Ballarat, I met Danny. As you know, he's a Ballarat, was a Ballarat boy. He rang me up. He said, oh, Brennan, I want you to come down and speak to the Tigers, mate. I want you to speak to the players. I go, Danny, we only just finished yesterday, mate. I want to celebrate. <laughs> he goes, no, we've got this big game coming up, and we've got to win this game. I think we win this game. We haven't made the finals for 20 years. It's 2001. Richmond haven't made the finals since 1981. And I look back, and be interesting to talk to some of the guys because I – I went down there and spoke to him in the change room, and I loved it. I loved it, right? It was Benny Gale, who's now the CEO. There's Richo. Matty Richardson's in, the, in that change room. There's so many great names. And he said to me, Danny said to me, he said, I want you to share with them why you're successful at Wollongong. You weren't the best team. Similar things are what you're asking me about. So I told him a few, I told him a couple of stories, not just about coaching, but when I was growing up as a kid. And I won't get into the detail, but Danny said to me, I said, look, I don't, going back to it, I thought, I'm not sure I want to get down there, Danny. He goes, oh, we've got to win this one. I go, who you playing? He goes, Carlton. I go, I'll be there. Carlton. Okay. <laughs> so we spoke to him. We went out. They beat Carlton. I, and I've actually got this, it got to be said to me last year, Michelle Branding, I don't know if you remember her, she used to play with the Opals and. She does a lot of work for Richmond. She got me a copy of it. So I've actually got a copy of it. I don't know if you can play all of it today, right? Because we're in a change room with a bunch of blokes, right? I look at it now. And then the saddest thing is for me, my relationship with Danny and Danny coming to me and talking about me at the end of it to the guys. It's it's heartwarming. And he presents me with the Richmond Tigers football jumper. It's got all the signatures of the players. I gave that to Colin Cadiz's wife, who's one of my greatest coaches I ever played for who's so passionate about Richmond. So she's got that on the wall at home with all those boys' names. So I've gone off track again, Paul. <laughs> but, yeah, it's just so important. The self-belief part of it is so so important. Feel free to go off track as much as you like, particularly when we talk about Danny Frawley because, of course, I haven't got the name of the disease at the, my fingertips, but it's the concussion-related brain injuries that unfortunately yeah, afflicted him at the end. Yeah. Brendan, I want to talk a little bit about cohesion because – it comes up quite a lot in these interviews. And I'm wondering what you've learned about the fuel or the nutrients 
or the energy is probably a better way of describing it that keeps cohesion smooth. Yeah, it's cohesion. What does it actually mean? I think for me, they have to understand what cohesion is, and it's an important part of team chemistry. It's an important part of success. So I really have clarity, I think, on identifying the role of each player. So if each player does actually understand their role, and we talked about you, I love the word you use, creativity. You've got to make sure you allow that. But there has to be an understanding of one's strengths and weaknesses and your opponent's strengths and weaknesses. But we're talking about team and chemistry. It's more about understanding your own strengths and weaknesses, but also those of your teammates. Because sometimes, as you know, not everybody's great at everything, but the sum of all the parts are what help you be successful. I go back to that power five. So, so understanding the roles and the different strengths and weaknesses of not only yourself, but each team member. Now, you get that a lot of time by playing together, but you can escalate that. Obviously, if you communicate about it and there's clarity in those areas as a coach in explaining that to the players. Brendan, if I could take you back, I had a time machine, and I could take you back and introduce you to that kid that was running around the streets of Collingwood who had seven brothers and sisters, <laughs> had a grandfather who was coming home, was home from the wars. And If I could introduce you to that person, knowing what you know now, what would you say to him? Well done. <laughs> You've done okay, mate. You, but it's not over. Keep learning, keep getting better. But uh, look, I never expected myself to be a coach. I grew up wanting to be a, a, a Collingwood footballer. <laughs> you know, I played for Collingwood, so I played a lot of footy. So, But I, I think I've done all right, but keep trying to get better. That's what I'd say to him. Always keep trying to get better. So, Brendan, one last question maybe before we finish up. You're in your second year there in Taiwan. You won the championship in your first year. So I assume you've got a little bit of time to go. But in the distant, distant future, when you do hang up the whistle, if you ever do hang up the whistle, because it seems great coaches just keep going on and on and on and on, what's the legacy you hope you've left behind as a coach? Yeah, it's not necessarily just about winning championships. It's about, I think, helping people be the best they can be. As, as a player, I guess, on coaching basketball, but it's not hear this from players. We end up developing, I think, players as people because of what they go through, the challenges, right? So they're developing resilience and you, you, you do tend to build a pretty close relationship. And in saying that, not always, because, you know, sometimes you have to make some decisions, hard decisions that hold people accountable, which I've done over the years and I know it hasn't been proper. And, but I hope that those players look back and understand that I just think it was all about them trying to be the best player they can be and on the thought process it was about trying to be the best person they could become. So that's what I'd hope my legacy would be that I helped others get better and, and help them build resilience and become a better person I think and with that you get respect and I hope it's respect down the track. Brendan it's been great chatting with you today thanks for carving out some time on your day off good luck for the season ahead and I hope it's back-to-back premierships. Yeah, thanks very much, Paul. It's been a privilege to speak on this show. I've listened to quite a few and you've had some amazing people and I'll continue to listen to it. So I see the privilege being asked to to talk about these things as well. Because not only you go back to you said about, you know, trying to get better, I think when you actually have to reflect on what you've done, that helps you become a better player and a better person or a better coach as well. Thanks, Brandon. Thank you. Hi everyone, you have been listening to the great coach, Brendan Joyce. He's got such great energy and I hope you got a lot out of his engaging and authentic style. When I listened back, some of the other key highlights for me were his views on his own self-critiquing as a player and how he now helps people deal with this as a coach. 
the way he talks about his personal values and how they were shaped by the work ethic of his parents and the sacrifices of his grandfather, how the great coaches have passion, high levels of accountability, and because of their charisma, are able to influence others, and wanting to leave a legacy of helping people be the best that they can be. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And just before we go, if you have any feedback, then please let us know. The interaction with the people around the world who listen gives us great energy. And so if you have any comments, we'd love to hear them. And if they're positive ones, then please tell your friends and family too. All the details on how to connect with us are in the show notes or on our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com.